Welcome to Tech Junior. Hey everyone, it's Eddie. Uh, we have a great show for you today. We're talking to Jamin Halgram of Infinite Red. Uh, we talked all about React Native, uh, comparing it to things like Ionic and native development. Uh, if you want to support the show, please visit us at techjunior.dev and subscribe to our newsletter. Um, you can also click support and become a patron or buy some swag. Uh, if you want to tweet us, you can tweet us at Tech Junior Podcast. Um, please leave us a review on iTunes, uh, Google Play, and all the podcast services. Tell your friends. Anything you can do to support the show is greatly appreciated. And uh, let's get into it. All right, welcome to Sec Junior. My name is Lee Work Junior, full stack JavaScript developer, and I have with me as always Eddie. Hey, it's Eddie. I'm a front end developer. <laughs> and uh, we got a special <laughs> guest today. We have uh, Jamin Holmgren, if I said that correctly. You did, yeah. Thanks a lot. I appreciate you you guys having me on. Yeah, uh, we've uh, we've been trying to get you on for a while. Uh, Jamin is uh, is it CTO, CEO, founder of Infinite Red. Yeah, I'm one of the co-founders, and CTO is my current position. Yep. Cool. Fantastic. So we had uh, Gant Laborde on um, a couple months back, and it, it was a fantastic episode. We talked all about JavaScript yeah, really and TensorFlow.js and yeah. just machine learning in general, which is something that uh, we didn't really think was possible in JavaScript. And when Gant came on, he kind of you know, converted us over and, and convinced us that it, it is totally possible with JavaScript and viable. So um, <clears throat> we were really excited about that and took his, his AI course, learned a bunch from that. And, yeah. Uh, he just launched a course today as we're recording this on uh, TensorFlow, right? He did, yeah. Well, Gantt can convince you of just about anything, so I'm not sure if it's actually, <laughs> <laughs> if it's actually that it's, it's so amazing or it's just Gantt is so, so good at convincing. But no, I, it's really good. He's, he's worked so hard. It's been over a, a year of learning uh, AI and ML. And he's, you know, he comes from the same background as me as a software engineer, mostly working with web. Uh, we both were Ruby developers and um, moving into mobile then for the past, uh, you know, five, six years. And then moving from that into something brand new like this was quite a, you know, quite a challenge for him. Yeah. So we cool. won't, uh, we won't spend the whole episode talking about Gantt. We want to talk to you. So, um, yeah, can you give us a little uh, backstory or background on how you got into development and kind of how you ended up where you're at now? Yeah, for sure. Um, I had a little bit of a non-traditional path into into tech. Uh, so my dad owned a, an, a, a like a, a construction company, an excavation company, and he bought a computer. This was back in the '90s because. Uh, I'm a little older than some 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 people in the industry. Uh, way back in the '90s, uh, he early '90s he bought a, a 286, and then subsequently a 486, and those were basically to to run his his business books on. Um, but I was immediately just fascinated by this computer, and uh, I had a sixth grade teacher give me a book. Uh, she was a math teacher, and she gave me a book about Basic, and I went home and found QBasic on the computer and started kind of doing some making little games and stuff like that. And so for many years, I, I just made games and stuff, but it, it wasn't really, you know, my family was kind of blue collar and, and not really, uh, I didn't, I knew one, one programmer and he was like incredibly smart. Didn't seem like something that I, I could really attain to, you know, to. And, 
Um, but uh, when, uh, you know, so when I graduated from, from high school, I went to college for just one semester and dropped out. Uh, but I met, I met a guy there who said, Hey, you could, you could probably build like some like VBA visual basic for applications apps and make 15 bucks an hour, which back then was like amazing. You know, like uh, I, I was making I think six or $7 an hour for a tire shop at the time. So I figured, well, I can double my double more than double my income and like work with computers. That totally makes sense. Um, so I did that for a little bit, but it was, uh, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just doing it for friends uh, people who had small businesses and stuff. And so it took me a few years of working in the construction industry and doing a few different things to eventually get to the point where I started, uh, building websites and, and created my business, uh, in 2005. Cool. So, uh, what was the business that you created? Uh, the original business was a consulting business. It was called ClearSight, and it was just a regional, uh, kind of Southwest Washington, um, Washington State. Uh, so okay. that's that's where I live now. Um, and uh, but the Portland area, P- Portland, Oregon metro area. Um, and we started off just building websites in PHP, um, literally with like tables and nice. you know, like a little <laughs> bit of a little bit of styling, but it was like, you know, font tags and stuff. And this was 2005. So just sort of at the tail end of when that was still acceptable. And then uh, then quickly realized this is probably isn't the right way to do it and started <laughs> using CSS and learning how to use floats and all those things. Uh, so, you know, uh, did that for about five years and then uh, found Ruby. And Ruby was a big revelation to me as a as a developer. I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Um, so we did that. Uh, we actually still do Ruby to this day a little bit. Uh, and Ruby was a language that I definitely fell in love with. And uh, that led me to a system called Ruby Motion, which allowed you to build with Ruby uh, iOS apps. And so that got me into iOS. I did some Objective-C, I learned, uh, you know, native coding, but then um, in uh, 2015, two pretty big things happened. Uh, One was that I merged my company with Todd Wirth's company, um, and that's when uh, Gant Gant was working for Todd at the time. Uh, That's when Dad, uh, Gant came along to, uh, with that merger, and uh, of course, eventually became an owner. And uh, the second big thing was that we switched to React and React Native, and that was a pretty big decision. And uh, so we've been doing that ever since. But that's kind of the short version, kind of the technical side of it. Uh, there's a lot more to that story, of course. But uh, over the course of 10 <laughs> years, I, sk- I skipped a little bit. <laughs> sure, okay. yeah. So uh, that's really interesting. Um, going from Ruby to mobile, mm-hmm. then to React. So you've kind of gone through all of the big uh, phases that have come along in, in development in the past couple of years. Um, Ruby's like super different from all those other ones, is it not? It is. Uh, Ruby is its own little culture, its own kind of, um, it's, its own thing. Uh, of course, Ruby on Rails being the big dominant framework within, uh, within, in fact, most people, when they think of Ruby, they're really thinking of Rails. Um and uh, so we were doing that for sure, and and it was good. It was it's amazing how rapidly you can build web applications. Still, actually, to this day, probably the fastest way to build a web app, and it'll blow away React or you know create React app or anything else like that. It's still still way more productive. Um, however, uh, you know how would you go from that to mobile? Well, we tried some other things. We tried like PhoneGap, if you remember that, Cordova. Yeah. Um, 
I don't think Ionic was really a thing at the time, but we were trying to build something using PhoneGap and the, the user experience was just terrible. We couldn't even get it through the app store. Um, and so there was a new, like in, in 2012, there was a, uh, a new system that came out called Ruby motion. It was by an engineer that had built, um, had worked on Ruby tooling within Apple. And, uh, so we started using that and it, that actually allowed you to compile down to native code using Ruby, which was fantastic. Cause you got the kind of the speed of, of compiled native code. Um, but the efficiency of using Ruby, but you didn't have rails at that time. So I had to learn Ruby at a deep level. Ruby it kind of rails sort of has these, um, I guess, guardrails, so to speak, uh, these, these helpers to really help you be productive. And you didn't have that in Ruby motion. It was just Ruby, just bare Ruby. Um, and, uh, but you did have access to underlying APIs and stuff. And so that was really fun. We did that for a while, but then that, that ship kind of sank. And from there, uh, in 2015, we kind of saw that happening. So we decided to move to React Native at that point. So if you, uh, <clears throat> you had a little bit of experience with like Objective-C and doing the native development, mm-hmm. what made you say, we're going to, you know, put our chips in React Native as opposed to just being like a, a native mobile shop? Yeah, totally. We, we definitely considered both. Um, I think that the big, the, the biggest thing that you can really point to is the cross-platform story, the ability to deploy to both Android and iOS. Because you got to remember, when we started in 2012, it was kind of like people really cared about iOS. You know, they didn't really care about Android. If they did an Android app, it was usually just to appease their users. They didn't really make much money on it. Um, you know, I, I remember reading stories where people would say that, uh, we're making like 90% of our money on the iOS side. You know, nobody buys anything on the, on the Android side. They're just cheapskates, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, that was the story back then. But by 2015, that had started to shift because higher end phones were coming out for Android. Uh, the, the, the user or the, yeah, the user experience was better. And so people were starting to shift back to Android, um, higher end users who were willing to pay for apps and stuff. Um, and then also we were shifting from like an app as a business to more like a business that needed an app uh, would be coming to us. And so when they need an app and they're not trying to make money on it, it's just like, I'm, you know, I, I'm a company and I already have uh, customers and they, they want an app. Um, at that point, then you don't really care. Like you need both. And so that cross-platform story was something that nobody else had. Like PhoneGap had it, but it wasn't, it wasn't a good story uh, where, um, React Native had the ability to really write it uh, for the most part once. I mean, you did have to do some some code changes for iOS and Android, uh, but we weren't afraid of that. We'd, we were already doing that to um, then deploy that uh, to to platforms was was amazing. Um, so we we actually switched horses midstream and a couple of projects that we had uh, just about to get underway. We actually convinced them to switch from RubyMotion at the time to React Native. And that was actually a pretty big deal for us because then we got a chance to work on some legitimate sized uh, apps and develop uh, our stack and things like that, uh, out of which came Ignite, which is a big open source project that we built, things like that. Cool. <clears throat> What's, uh, what is Ignite, just out of curiosity? Yeah, so Ignite, I, I work on Ignite a lot, uh, kind of in my my free time, it's it's an open source project with over 10,000, maybe 11,000 stars now. Um, but it's a, it's a CLI, so you can just install it with npm install-g ignite-cli. And 
what it gives you is the ability to spin up a new React Native app with infinite red defaults. And so it gives you everything that we've learned over the past four years of doing React Native uh, apps. It'll actually allow you to spin up a new app that a lot of people tell us is like two to four weeks. Um, like, like they speed up the, 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 the project by two to four weeks. Take, take that off the front of the project. Uh, so you're not having to set up your navigation. You're not having to set up TypeScript. You're not having to set up all these different things, the the state management and, and whatever. So all of those things are already kind of set up for you. And then you can go move on from there. Um, it's a pretty good system. It's already using hooks. It's already using like all the latest and greatest stuff. We keep it up to date. We invest a lot of time in it. Uh, and it has really uh, kind of brought our name to prominence uh, in the React Native world. That was the initial thing that kind of brought us up. And then um, secondly, we started a conference called Chain React, and that has really also kind of uh, made us known in the React Native world. Awesome. That's cool. So uh, before we get too far into talking about React Native, um, why don't we talk a little bit about the, the, like the current landscape of it? So we've mm -hmm. got React Native, um, which lets you write JavaScript you know, React code, and then that compiles to native code, right? Right. And then well, you have... sort of, yes. Uh, I can talk a little bit more about how that works uh, if you want, but... Uh, sure, do you have a caveat? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. No, throw it out. So uh, what you do end up with is you do end up with some compiled code, for sure. Um, so you get end up with a binary, but you also end up with a bundle of actual JavaScript. So you end up with plain text JavaScript in addition to your your compiled binary. And um, so iOS and Android both have uh, both have a thing called JavaScript core. Um, and actually on the Android side, it's shipped with the binary. Um, so, and on iOS, then you use the one that's built into the operating, operating system. JavaScript core is an open source JavaScript framework that powers, you know, Safari. Um, so you're using the same JavaScript engine. Um, What's nice about using that uh, is that it will interpret instructions pretty much the same on both platforms because the same system. So you run uh, you run your JavaScript bundle in this JavaScript core, and that has access to communicate over what's called a bridge. To it just sends like strings across the bridge to the native side. The native side receives these messages and then is able to trigger native functions and do different things on the native side, which which sounds a little bit slow, and in some cases it can be. Um, but the main advantage there is a couple of things. One is that obviously you can have the same exact JavaScript bundle on both iOS and Android, but the native code is different. So the native code is receiving those instructions and then setting up Android views or setting up UIKit views. And those are native views that are actually like as if you built them in Xcode, right? But they're being, the, the instructions are being relayed from React JavaScript to the native side over the bridge. So you can really think of it as two parts. And the part that's most important for the developer, the app developer, is the JavaScript side. And you can build like entire apps in the JavaScript side, and but then still have the buttery smooth experience of having native code running it. Um, and it's really, 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 really awesome. There's also, uh, uh, um, there, there are also efforts underway. Uh, I'm part of the React Native core team, mainly on the open source community side of things. And uh, there are efforts underway to uh, remove the bridge entirely using a thing. I don't want to get like way too technical here, but there's a thing called mm -hmm. um, uh, JavaScript uh, uh, native interface. Um, and that allows you to call 
uh, native functions directly from JavaScript rather than sending it over the bridge and having to interpret it and things like that. Um, you have to be a little careful about how you do it, but there are ways to do that and it makes it much, much more synchronous and fast and like smooth uh, to communicate between the two. So we're, we're, there's some really exciting stuff coming up for React Native in the next year. Uh, so definitely keep an eye on that. Facebook's investing a ton. So that's essentially how that works. The JavaScript bundle and then the native uh, binary. Um, the JavaScript bundle is the same on both platforms and the native binaries are different per pl platform. Okay. Cool. Yeah, it's it's a little bit different than, than I imagined it. Um, it yeah. kind of sounds like it's a little bit closer to Cordova than I may have previously thought. Yeah, so the big difference is that in Cordova, um, they spin up a web view. And I am actually in charge, uh, or one of the people who, who maintains the React Native web view. So I'm kind of, uh, unfortunately, too familiar with, with the, the limitations mm -hmm. of, a, of a web view. <laughs> Um, so think about a web view. It's, it's like a browser, right? And right. so if you run a native, when you think about it, like it's the difference between running an Electron app and running a native app. Um, so the native app may have JavaScript under the hood telling it the instructions, but it's not rendering like divs. It's not rendering, you know, uh, spans and CSS and stuff like that. Um, it's actually putting views like like native views that are really skinny and and really low memory like you can just put a ton of them up on the screen and they'll they they're they're smoother they they don't have the overhead of a browser where electron or cordova are, are in a web view so everything that you're doing is a div and is running a whole browser instance and you've got everything you got to support every website ever known to man um and rather than like just targeted like iOS only specific or just targeted Android only specific views. So there is a pretty big difference there. Like if you were to run a web view in React Native, it's a very different experience than if you just run your normal native views, even though in both cases it's JavaScript. Okay. And mm -hmm. is, uh, is Ionic kind of in the same direction as Cordova? So yeah, Ionic was and I think may still be to some extent powered by Cordova, but they're building their own uh, technology to take it further than Cordova right. did. And so they're doing some things to make it better. Like on it, Ionic's experience is much, much better than Cordova by itself. Um, and over time, they're actually getting, they're closing the gap. Still, they're continuing to close the gap between that and something like React Native. Um, and, uh, but I've I've still taken over too many Ionic projects where it's been a failure uh, and moved them to React Native to really bet on Ionic at this point. I I can't say that as an expert because I haven't done a ton of Ionic work. Um, but I do know that anecdotally, uh, React Native still beats it in terms of performance and even things like developer happiness and things like that. Um, however, uh, there's always trade-offs. Engineering always has it's it always involves trade-offs, and uh, I think the biggest thing is that. No matter what, Ionic is still running a web view. They're, they're having to fight that kind of environment where React Native is not. And they, they can be very targeted in how they engage the, like the user interface. Okay. Mm. And so now that we've kind of got that landscape out there, yeah. I have to ask about what do you think about Flutter? Right. Uh, so There you go. Yeah. Yes. That's a good <laughs> Flutter. question. So, um, so Flutter is, is very interesting, and I'm glad that React Native has some competition. It's really important that, that it does. Um, and Google is amazing at engaging developers and providing a developer experience. So I'm, I'm always, like that's always something that is, uh, it's top of mind for sure. A um, couple of big drawbacks to Flutter 
for from our perspective, number one, you have to use Dart. You can't use JavaScript. You can't use TypeScript. So that's kind of a that's already kind of a big um, downside for us. Dart is a fine language. It's just not what we would tr- choose to sort of build our technical team around. Um, Secondly, the biggest reason that we came to React Native wasn't just the cross-platform story as far as uh, iOS to Android, but because we could also move to React on the web side of things and use React everywhere. And like, I can take a React Native developer and put them on a React project and they'll be productive in a couple weeks, you know, or I can do the same the other direction and it's pretty much the same. Um, With with Flutter, yes, there are like Flutter Web and things like that. But are you going to start with Flutter Web? It's it doesn't seem it's certainly not as common as starting with React Web. Um, so there there's some downsides there. Um, community wise, I think the React Native and React uh, communities in general are much bigger, uh, more vibrant. Um, you know, Flutter's Flutter's getting there. Uh, there's a lot of really interesting tech, a lot of really cool ideas, but uh, yeah, it's, it is a little different. The other thing is uh, React Native, you can, you can drop down to native a little easier than you can with Flutter. Like anytime you want with React Native, you can just say, I'm going to start writing some Objective-C or I'm going to write some Java. Or if you want, you can write Swift or Kotlin. So you can use any of the latest stuff. Uh, with with Flutter, Flutter, from what I understand, or at least last I looked into it, it wasn't so easy to do that. Uh, and that is something that we don't have any problem doing. Like, okay, we've reached the limits of what React Native can do. Drop down in Native, finish the project. Cool. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, quite a bit of technologies to, to kind of keep your, your finger on the pulse of. Sure. Right? No yeah. kidding. <laughs> For sure. So uh, um, I was going to. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Eddie. Okay. Um, as far as React Native goes, um, can you write an app in in Native and then also have it on the web? Like, what's the difference as far as web and and Native goes? Yeah. So um, with React, you have React itself, and then you have React DOM. Okay. And React DOM provides sort of the interface between React, which creates a virtual DOM, and interfacing with the browser document object model, right? The, the, the nodes themselves creating, creating and manipulating actual browser nodes. So you don't use react Dom in react native react native is the react Dom. So the, the, the native code. So when it constructs this virtual uh, Dom, um, React Native being the React DOM of React Native, then it's essentially taking those instructions of like, here are the views that we need to build and it's interfacing to the native layer. So on Android side, you, you kind of almost have like a Android, uh, sorry, a, uh, like an Android DOM, React DOM and a iOS okay. React DOM. Um, and those are not creating, you know, they're not like uh, uh, create element or anything like that. What they're doing is they are, um, they're 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 using the native code itself. So okay. UI view, you know, like uh, Alec. I forget the the exact API. It's like Alec with frame or something like that. So you're creating an actual view that is sort of like a div, but it's it's in native, and that is informed by the virtual DOM that React itself did. So there's actually a version of React embedded in React Native. It does the exact same thing that it would do on nat- in web. It, the biggest difference is the DOM. So can you write once and deploy it? I 
have it on everything? Yes, yes, okay. you totally can. So there's a thing okay. called React Native Web that okay. allows you to use, you know, like you wouldn't use div or span, you would use view, like capital V view okay. for, for your component. And um, on Android, it'll use an Android view. On iOS, it'll use a UI view. And on uh, on React Native Web, then it would use um, uh, like a div. Okay, cool. Yeah, and the styling, sorry, the, the, the styling you use sort of a, a CSS in JS system that works pretty similar to CSS is not perfect. It doesn't yeah. have CSS grid. It only has like Flexbox and stuff, but it's it's pretty similar. Okay, that's cool. Flexbox <laughs> is all you need. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, you can pretty much do it. Well, especially on a smaller screen, like a like a phone screen. You yeah, pretty much good. Yeah, Flexbox is super powerful. So don't let that stop you if you're out there. Exactly. Um, I was going to say, uh, from what I understand, it kind of looks like whenever you're writing something in React Native, you've got like React Native components that you're working with instead of like pure HTML stuff. So you're not doing yeah. divs. You've got like a view or a text component or something like that. And then you're propping like values into that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, in my opinion, uh, that's what React should have done instead of using divs. Although there's an argument to be made that it wouldn't have gotten the traction that it did you know, because it wasn't familiar. Um, but really, uh, divs are an implementation detail. Um, you know, what we need to know is that it's a, it's a view. It's not a, it's not a, like a web div. It's a, it's a view of some sort. And, um, I, I guess technically you could say that we're already abstracted that far using div. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, when you use react native web, you're using pre-built co components that turn into divs and in react they just call them the same thing a div is a div okay so i have to know um whenever you're kind of using react with react native web uh it sounds like you're kind of buying into whatever components they have built for you uh do you find you, that you guys are using that or do you feel like you need to drop down into regular react in order to build out websites yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So you can pretty much build anything with the components they give you. Um, so let's say that you need to create an avatar. Um, there's an image component. Um, if you need to build something more complex, let's say a controller or something like that, you can pose together many different ones and um, call it something and then just use it like you would you know, a React component. So um, it's really no different than what you would do in a React web side of things. It's just that instead of using divs, you would use view. Instead of using lowercase button, you'd use uppercase button. And they have a little different API and stuff. Um, but for the most part, you can pretty much do the same stuff. Now, we thought we were going to be dropping down not just to React, but to native to be like, hey, we need like a native component. That means that we'd have to write in iOS and Android native and interface those two to JavaScript and make sure that they have a common API. We don't actually do that very often. It's like, you know, like, Two to five percent of the project might might have some of that, and that, that's probably on the high side, to be honest. So, whenever you guys uh, get a new project that comes in, and it requires a <clears throat> like a PWA or a web app or something, do you find yourself using React Web Native, or do you just roll with regular React? You know what? Uh, that's an actually an awesome question, <laughs> uh, because it's it's really mm -hmm. great. Uh, because that's uh, that's still a little bit of an un unresolved question at this point. Um, React Native Web is amazing if you want to uh, have the same functionality between mobile and web, but that's not always the case. 
in some cases you want a very different experience on web. And if you're going to be customizing it that much, React JS with React DOM is going to be your best user experience. Or sorry, developer experience. Uh, your best developer experience. React Native Web comes with some trade-offs uh, that offset some of its awesomeness. And especially if you're not going to be using the fact that you can just be like, hey, here's my React Native app. And then, oh, by the way, we'll deploy it to Web too. Like, if you're not going to do that, then React Native Web's somewhat clunkiness of some in some places can start getting in the way. Now that's improving. Like they're working on it and it's it's moving forward and there's there's continual improvement. Um, but at this point, it's still an unresolved question. I think, uh, well, we actually have a project starting pretty soon that is, I guess it's web only. Um, so that helps make the decision. Like it's not going to be in a mobile app. They already have a mobile app. Uh, so we're going to be starting one pretty soon and that's going to be just React.js and we're happy to do that. The nice thing is a lot of the same concepts survive, you know, no matter which one you're doing. We can use the same uh, state management system, for example. We can use MobX State Tree, which is our favorite state management system that I gave three talks about in September and October. Um, those are those are some of the things that we can just bring across and we don't have to think about it. It's the same, same concept, same code. Cool. Uh, yeah, I would imagine if you're writing a, an app that's going to be for like a desktop screen, that may not translate very well with like the web view for or React Native Web or however you, <laughs> however yeah, you call it. Exactly. That's that's definitely the case uh, when you when you go to create and then actually the, the reverse we've noticed the reverse as well when you get a designer who's maybe a web designer and they try to design a mobile app there will be some things that just don't feel right. Um, that's why our, like our designers are, are very much like they understand mobile app, native mobile app dynamics versus even responsive websites. Responsive websites are just different set of assumptions that the users make versus an app. Um, and so there, there have to be two different approaches. Yeah, we, uh, where I'm at, we work on a, uh, e-commerce website. So it has to work on like every device known to man. Right. Yeah. And so the the tablet, mobile, and desktop views are radically different. Right. Um, so, yeah, I could see if you really wanted to dig in and have it work everywhere, you may want to just kind of suck it up and use React. Um, yeah. And so, then, like, partition off the the native mobile stuff. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. The, um, the classic example I use is actually Squarespace. So they use... React everywhere, including React Native on their on their app, but they don't use React Native Web. They use React JS. They've just found a really good way to share code between React JS and React Native, and uh, it works really well for them. They've they have a few talks out about it. Um, so Squarespace definitely they have the same code running in native mobile as well as desktop, um, but very different experiences between the two. Uh, cohesive where it makes sense, but the customized where it makes sense. That's Do you happen cool. to know like how they pull that off, or are they yeah. writing their own components for all three? Or <clears throat> they have their own tooling um, that they built in house, uh, and I don't have like really great insight into what they've done, uh, other than a talk that they gave at I think it was um, Chain React 2017. Uh, Bob Scarano gave a talk uh, there about what they're doing at Squarespace, and that was very interesting. So check that out if you. If you're interested in seeing what they've been doing, cool. Mm -hmm. <coughs> so, um, you mentioned uh, state management. So, I'm curious, like, 
can you use Redux or the Context API or all that good stuff in React Native, or is that only for React.js? All of those things are available. We built a lot of apps using Redux, and we're using Context right now to distribute our MobX state tree stores. So, um, and we're using hooks where it makes sense. Um, so hooks are are fantastic for local state or for uh, lifecycle uh, lifecycle methods. Um, you know, making sure that things run when when the component is com- is mounted and when it's unmounted. All of those things are are really nice with hooks. And then context is great for distributing the stores around the different contexts without or the different components without having to do prop drilling. Yeah, I think uh, I think Redux itself also uses the context API to share its state. Yes, at least from yeah. what I've read. Yes, that is a <laughs> it's a common way to do it, and it's a it's a great way to do it. If you just use context, there are some some gotchas uh, specifically around performance. Um, you can do it, but you have to be very very careful. You have to uh, one one thing to think about is basically like if you're trying to replace Redux or Mobic State Tree using context and hooks. Generally speaking, you'll reinvent kind of a worse version of Redux. And, <laughs> yeah. wow. and so you, you have to really think about how your, your data is, is modeled and stuff like that. That's why we like MobX State Tree, because you actually don't have to think about it too much. Um, the performance is fantastic right out of the box with MobX React, which is a thing that glues it all together. I could talk all night about this. To be honest, uh, this is <laughs> this is something I'm really into. I did give three talks about it uh, a couple months ago. Are uh, are any of them recorded? We can link them on the show. Yeah, yeah, totally. There's one at React Native EU, and I would recommend watching them in order. Um, there's one at React Native EU where I talk about sort of why would you use React? Uh, sorry, uh, MobX, MobX React, and MobX Atree, and what they are, and kind of contrast them a little bit to Redux. And then uh, I gave a talk at React Live Amsterdam uh, a week later, uh, and I and I actually live coded on stage uh, in front of like 800 developers. A uh, an app using that, so I showed how to use that, and I also there's an appearance of of Ignite in there too, so you get a chance to see what, how all that works. Um, and then uh, in October, and I haven't got a link yet for this one, but um, it ha- it was recorded. I just I don't have a link for it yet. Uh, there was a I gave a talk about how to use that with uh, GraphQL. So uh, Morgan, okay, yeah, Morgan Laco, uh, who works for me, she she lives in Florida. Not too far from where the conference was, so I I flew down there and we gave a talk together uh, using it with GraphQL. Cool. Where was the conference? This one was in uh, Jacksonville, uh, Jacksonville Beach. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, we're uh, we're in Orlando for reference. Yeah, that's what we... okay. Morgan lives in in Orlando, so. Yeah. Oh, okay. She should come out to uh to our meetup or come yeah. on the podcast or something then. Totally. I, I'm going to, I'm going to let her know about it. Uh, she's, yeah, she's great. For us. <laughs> yes, I'll, I'll do that. She's, she's great. Uh, she, she did a great job. She was actually doing the live coding while I was talking in at that conference. Cause we did live coding there as well. Uh, we ran into a technical issue and we powered through it and it, it was, it was, it was pretty good. Uh, uh, the conference was, um, ancient city, ancient city, Ruby rails react. So, uh, wow. It fit in well with our Ruby background because uh, we were able because Morgan and I both uh, came from the, the Ruby on Rails world, and so we were able to combine a, a Rails app with a React Native app and kind of show how all that worked together. There's a lot of like honestly, 
like you see kind of a life cycle from end to end. The GraphQL part's pretty cool, but you you do get to see like how everything works all the way through. Cool. That's cool. Uh, you're both badasses because I would never get on stage in live code, <laughs> especially a big complicated app like that with state management. You know what? Uh, to be honest, uh, I love live coding for one very specific reason, and that's because I hate building slides. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather do live coding than make a bunch of slides. Uh, so I just practice and practice and practice until it's just second nature. Um, but, okay. you know, it uh, it's always a risk. Like the one in, in Jacksonville Beach, when we when we got up there, we got to a certain point and it just started giving us an error. We didn't know. We'd never seen this error before. We'd practiced many, many times, never seen this error. So then we just kept going. And then touching other unrelated files all of a sudden fixed the problem. So that was that was fun. So you still don't know what the error was? <laughs> still don't know. Still have no idea. Yeah, we had a, uh, had a guest on that said uh, software is a harmony of bugs. <laughs> yeah. I love that. That's, that's pretty good. <laughs> I love it. So, um, yeah. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't imagine getting in, on stage in front of that many people and, yeah. uh, and live coding. That just seems like courting disaster. <laughs> <laughs> well, check it out and see see what you think. See how see how I did. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll definitely do that. Um, let's see. Uh, another thing you mentioned was um, the rendering engine for React Native. Yeah. Uh, I saw uh, a guy called Dan Abramov tweet something a couple months ago about a new one that Facebook developed for that. Yeah. So. I was alluding to that a little bit. Um, there's uh, there's Fabric, um, which is being worked on right now. Um, and uh, I'm not involved in that side of the React Native uh, project, and a lot of that work's being done internally at Facebook. Uh, so I've sort of kept out of it a little bit. We're kind of in wait-and-see mode right now. But what's really nice about it is that you can... Uh, you can render things um, a little more synchronously, so you're not... Like, one of the big problems is, like, Let's say you're doing an animation and you just need something to like animate through. You have a couple options. You can try to fire events over the bridge and hope that it keeps up at 60 frames a second. Or you can do it all on the native side, but then you lose control because everything's happening behind the scenes and you're not really like interacting with it and telling it what to do. And both are valid ways, but this allows you to do both. And so that's uh, you can actually control it, yeah, but it'll still be native. So that's a, that's a very cool system. Um, there's there's a lot of stuff in the works, so just stay tuned on that. Hopefully they'll uh, they'll have a lot of you know really good help and stuff like that. Um, most of my involvement has been on the community open source side, so I've worked a little bit with uh, you know with with a lot of different aspects of uh, you know different teams, uh, but um, the one that I mainly have been involved with is the web view side of it. So if you need a web view, like actually render a real web website in React Native and you use uh, the web view there. Uh, that's something that I helped extract from the React Native core and turn it into a community module. And so I maintain that. Or I help cool. maintain it, I should say. So um, it sounds like from what you said, you haven't really felt a huge need for that. It kind of like few and far between where you're running into uh, or running up against this current engine. It seems like React Native is kind of meeting all of your use cases right now. And so it, yeah, seems like it would only be better whenever this new engine comes out. Yeah, a lot of our pain points actually with React Native, and there are a few for sure. Um, we've felt we've felt almost everything having done this for for four years now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
uh, a lot of our pain points come with the wide variety of quality and support that you get from third-party modules, and there's a ton of them. So you might go out and find something you think is really cool and you use it and then you find out that it has a problem or a bug and nobody's fixed it or it's not compatible with the latest React Native. And uh, that can be very disheartening. Uh, additionally, upgrades used to be a major issue where when you upgraded, you had to do a lot of work to get everything ready. They're making strides in that direction. Um, it's no longer really the first thing that people say is is the biggest issue with React Native anymore. Uh, and, and we've pulled the community a couple times now to see like what it what it what, what do people say are the biggest problems? Um, I think that uh, a company called Expo is actually doing a lot of good work in this uh, regard. They've taken over a lot of community modules and they're doing a really good job of, of providing them in the form of what they call unimodules. They work um, they work with React Native, but they also work with their own internal version of React Native called Expo. Um, and uh, so there, there's some stuff that's moving the right direction. Of course, uh, at Infinite Red, we're trying to do our part to contribute to the open source culture there. Um, but yeah, those are those are those are the big ones. Uh, things like animations and stuff can be a little bit of an issue, but you know, like I said, we can always drop down to, to native if we really need to. And uh, so, n- not really something that we're extremely like waiting with bated breath that you know mm-hmm. that this is going to land and it's going to solve all our problems. To be honest, it'll probably cause more problems because there may be <laughs> regressions, you know, or or not even regressions. Like they're pretty good about testing things, but it's more. It's more about third-party modules that we're relying on that are no longer compatible, things like that. Um, I'm really looking forward to 1.0 because once once it hits 1.0, um, then I think the the core team is going to take a very very uh, serious look at not breaking backwards compatibility. Uh, you know, having to go to 2.0, 3.0, 4.0, 4.0. and React themselves, the React team itself has been very good about providing backwards compatibility. Yeah. Um, since you mentioned Expo, uh, I've seen a lot of recommendations that say like, hey, if you're going to do React Native, don't even touch like the regular stuff. Just go straight to Expo, get their CLI and just spin up something and use all their components and plugins and all that stuff. Uh, it sounds like you guys have done a lot of work outside of that. So yeah. would you recommend somebody jumps in with Expo or do you think like Ignite would be perfect for them or how do you feel about that? So I'm in progress of uh, providing an expo option in Ignite because we feel like Ignite adds a lot of value on top of no matter whether you whether you go with the React Native init uh, route, which is sort of the the outside expo version, or expo init. Um, main thing, uh, well, I I just need to work on it to be honest, and then I'll I'll get a, <laughs> a version out. We are um, considering for our next project, which actually starts Monday, using Expo for that project. Um, the main reasons we haven't used it in the past are primarily because it hasn't supported specific, very key things that we need um, for those particular projects. So uh, if you have a project that doesn't need to you know, I- integrate a native like third-party module or, or CocoaPod or something like that, um, if it's just JavaScript mainly, and you can get away with using the internal built-in systems that they use, Expo is amazing, and you're going to solve a lot of your own problems by just using Expo because they're going to they're going to test it. Their upgrade process is way better than React Native's as far as just they 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 handle the the pain once for all you know thousands and thousands of developers out there, um, and they have you know a real a real company behind it, so they're 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 supporting it. Uh, we're big fans of the team at Expo, and I think Expo is the future of React Native. Um, 
But when you have a situation where it's like, hey, I need to drop down to Java or I need to drop down to Objective-C or I need to integrate this third-party native uh, SDK or um, uh, or they have a module, but it doesn't really do what we need it to. And the one that does doesn't support Expo. That becomes more of an issue. And, and so that's when you would uh, either start with React Native init, which is what Bowser does by default right now, or eject from Expo and start you know compiling your own thing. The biggest issue with doing your own thing is you have to get your environment all set up and everybody working on the project has to have their environment all set up where Expo acts almost like a browser where it like protects you from having, you don't have to have Android studio. You don't have to have Xcode right. installed. You don't have to have the build tools configured. You don't have to have your paths all set up. There's all these different things that you don't have to do. You literally just load it up and it's ready to go and you can run it on your phone and you can run it on, you know, in the browser you can, or in the emulator, I should say in the simulator, all those things are taken care of for you with Expo. I'm a big Expo fan. I hope that we can make this next project project work with it. It solved a lot of our our issues. I think that Bowser adds a lot of value on top of that because it brings in all the different opinions that are not present uh, in Expo that you would need to build your app. Um, and I'm hopeful that maybe I can get an Expo powered Bowser out uh, soon. Bowser is. Uh, Sorry. Uh, yes. <laughs> Thank you for, for checking me out. So Ignite comes with two, uh, well, multiple boilerplates. Uh, so Ignite is the CLI, but um, it comes with Andros. We named them after uh, video Nintendo? game villains. Yes. Yeah, yeah Nintendo. So Andros. I'm with you. I'm with you. Perfect. Uh, Andros was our first boilerplate. It was Redux and uh, regular JavaScript. Uh, and then Bowser is our second one. We're going A, B, C, D. So Bowser is the second one that we released. And that one is uh, MobX State Tree TypeScript. Um, and then uh, the next one we do is going to be CyberDemon from Doom. So that'll be <laughs> oh, the next. Oh, cool. That'll be the next one. Jumping out of <laughs> Nintendo. Okay. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a little shell shocked. Uh, that was a Bowser pun. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to go back to the question about, you know, like, would, should you use Expo or not? I think, uh, I think if you're a brand new uh, newbie, it's definitely the way to go. Um, if you want to get really serious and down and dirty and make something really complex, you may end up having to eject uh, or you may want to just start with Bowser, Ignite Bowser, and um, just kind of set everything up and then you're ready to go, right? Uh, you kind of bite the bullet up front and then you have the flexibility later. Um, but that's that's my as the, sort of if you're looking at the line between those two, it's moving in Expo's favor every every release. They're they're moving the the bar forward every release, getting more and more features. Their third party modules are high quality. Uh, those things are tipping the scales in their direction. Cool. Uh, real quick, do you guys maintain the other configurations? So do you maintain like Andros? and Bowser, or is it kind of like a progressive thing? Uh, what we do is we put it into a community support thing. So if, if people uh, submit pull requests, we'll merge them and release a new version. We'll review the code as well. Um, but we mainly actively uh, support uh, Bowser at this point. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, talk about some pain points with React Native, uh, having yeah. you on the show. Sure. So um, <laughs> it sounds like, for most cases, you can get away with using Expo and you'll be just fine. Um, but whenever people talk about React Native, they always talk about writing native bridges and how painful it is and how difficult it can be. So do you feel like it's a huge pain point still or is that going away or is it kind of people making a mountain out of a, mole, a molehill? I think it's probably... 
<laughs> it's probably a little bit of everything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Objective-C is kind of scary when you first look at it. It's native code. It's it's uh, it's uh, uh, statically typed. It's um, uh, it's an old language. Uh, and it is written in Objective-C, not Swift. Uh, you can use Swift, but then you have to introduce a new build process, and that can bring its own complexities. Um, uh, obviously, coming from the native side ourselves, having done Objective-C, it doesn't scare us as much. Uh, it feels like not very much code, generally, to get things working. It's just that there's a conceptual leap that you have to make. And that's maybe where the mountain out of, the, out of a molehill part of it comes in. Um, at the same time, it's not as easy as it should be. And that's where, you know, it could be easier. Um, but yeah, it's, I think, uh, I think overall, so to be honest, actually, I'm, I'm really, I'm really seriously considering building a, um, a course through our Infinite Red Academy that teaches people to do native coding in React Native. Um, because I think that's something we've done well and we're good at. Um, that a lot of people are a little bit afraid of. And I want to de demystify that a little bit. That sounds sweet. <laughs> when, yeah. uh, when can we look out for that? When's that coming? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Still preliminary. Uh, you know, Gantt just launched his AI course. So we have kind of a, uh, you know, sort of a, a path forward on that. We know how to, we how we know how to put them together. We know how to, to, uh, to create them. It's just a matter of me dedicating the time to it. Um, but uh, I'll probably put out some feelers on Twitter and say, you know, hey, are people interested in this? Uh, if people are, please do tweet to me, you know, at Jamin Holmgren and uh, uh, let me know that you're interested in that because the more people that I have interested in a course like that, um, uh, no idea what I'd, what I'd charge for it or anything like that, but uh, try to make it affordable for people. Um, uh, but the idea is that at the end of the course, you would feel totally comfortable building uh, native app, you know, maybe you're not an Objective-C expert, maybe you're not a Java expert, I'm not going to necessarily teach that. That's a pretty big, you know, thing to, to bite off. But at least you can do, you can do a lot of the basics, you can, you can read code, you can understand what it's doing, you understand how to call a method, you know, that's kind of a big deal. Uh, you know, why, why are all these at symbols in, you know, on your strings and things like that. Uh, you'll understand the basic syntax and uh, be able to build kind of basic things. And maybe even, I might even throw in something like uh, integrating a native SDK or something like that, which is a common thing. Cool. So do you think yeah, you would go through cool. like the basics of React Native and then like jump into right of those, those bridges or dropping down to the native code? I think I'd probably expect a certain amount of familiarity with React Native before you move into I want to tackle, you know, native code. So this would be probably for someone who's who's pushed React Native JavaScript side as far as they can go and they need to really start moving into more of a native direction uh, and getting them, you know, up to speed on that. Part of the deal here, though, is uh, I do need to see what changes are going to happen with Fabric and how that's going to impact things. Um, and uh, just, just you know, just ensure that I'm not having to redo the whole thing in a year. Yeah, hundred percent. I, mm. I really feel for um, tutorial writers that are out there yeah. doing React tutorials. Yeah, it, it seems like every couple of months they have to go back and do their course all over again. <laughs> so uh, if you look at like front end masters, you've got people that did like a Git course like three years ago, and they just did version two, and then you've yeah. got like Brian Holt. We did the React course and he's like version eight or something crazy. <laughs> so, um, exactly. Yeah, React is uh, is always moving very fast. So yeah, it it's, is. It's a challenge for tutorials. Um, totally. Cool. So um, I guess at the end of the day, is there anything that or any pain points for 
people that maybe don't have your experience with native code that would cause you to say, okay, you shouldn't use React Native. You should go learn Flutter or go just drop down totally and learn Native Dev and skip React. Yeah. Um, or do you think that React Native is kind of like, put all your chips in that basket, go for it? I, I, I totally understand that with any engineering decision, there's trade-offs. Like that's, that's always going to be the case, no matter what you choose. There's sometimes a uh, case to be made for Cordova. There's a case to be made for Ionic, things like that. I'm a big believer in React Native. It's, it served us really well. It really has. Um, I do think if you're not going to do web at all, like you're not going to touch React JS at all, um, then uh, React Native there's it loses a little bit of its flavor not i shouldn't say that that, that sounds too strong it's just that uh one of the string strong things is that there's this like you're hey you're react js dev web dev um come over to react native it's going to feel at home and that's actually a really big strong like thing but if you're coming from like native you know let's say that you're a native developer and you're like i want to build something cross-platform then flutter becomes a, a stronger thing because Dart's not a big deal. Maybe you already hate JavaScript, right? Like, you know, <laughs> there's there's a lot of native developers who do. And, um, or, you know, you don't want to use TypeScript, you want to use Dart. Uh, totally, you know, it changes, it sort of starts changing the, the equation. I would still uh, choose React Native, use TypeScript, and, uh, or or if you're really into it, like, try Reason. Uh, there's, there's a really cool... Uh, reason, uh, reason native, where you can use the React Native internals, but you're writing Reason ML. Um, so I think that it changes the equation a little bit. Um, if you're only writing for one platform, that's another situation. So let's say that you're only going to do Android, then you might want to consider just doing Kotlin at that point. Just use Kotlin, use Android Studio, and build it out that way. Uh, or vice versa, if you're in just I iOS, you'll never do Android, you'll never do web, you're just doing iOS. However, <laughs> I will say that um, engineering teams have decided to use React Native even on just one platform because of the developer experience. Um, an example of this is Orda Thoreau, I actually don't know how to say his last name. Anyway, his first name is Orda. Fairly <laughs> well known. He was like one of the top, I think he's still one of the top GitHub contributors in the world. Um, he used to work for a company called Artsy. He now works at Microsoft on TypeScript itself. But um, but he and I were talking at React Native EU, and I followed his career for a long time. He's He and I have been connected since the, the Ruby days. Uh, but he and I were got a chance to talk at React Native EU in Poland, and he said that his his team at Artsy um, decided, even though they were already like Xcode experts and native iOS experts, they've been doing it for a long time, and they were already like they. He gave a talk about Expo, that, or sorry, at uh, about Xcode there, and so like he really knew it inside and out. He still chose React Native in the end uh, because it it turns out that it was still the right choice. So. Uh, that's my very biased uh, take on it. I do understand, <laughs> though, that <laughs> that uh, that people will make decisions based on you know where the, where they're standing. And there's different different things. Uh, uh, but if you if you are like really having a tough time with this decision, reach out to me on Twitter and let's chat because uh, I can give you my uh, my viewpoint, and you'll have a, sort of a another. Uh, another view on this. We we do a lot of projects. We're a consultancy, so we're constantly doing projects with many different companies, um, some of whom you've heard of, uh, many of whom you haven't, uh, but we're making these decisions all the time, so we have these conversations, we're good at it. 
Cool. Cool. So if you're a, a web dev like Eddie or I, and you've already had experience with React, you know how to use the context API, you've dug into Redux a little bit, um, it sounds like React Native is kind of a no-brainer, right? That's I couldn't have said it better myself. That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And uh, just especially with my there, course, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Please. So do a uh, here's how you learn React Native, and then here's how you write a native bridge. Yeah, there and, you go. Uh, yeah, shoot that our way because that sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I will try. I, I was just gonna say uh, if you're interested in React Native after listening to us talk about it. Um, Expo has like a website where you can jump on and start building a React Native app like right now. Yeah. Uh, I think it's like snack.expo.com or something like that. Yes. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Uh, so you're actually doing, you know, real um, React Native uh, code there, but you're running in a browser uh, and it's it's fantastic. It's a really cool way to get introduced to to React Native and see how similar it is to React itself. Yeah, and it'll, uh, it'll fire up like a, a phone view for... Um, I think Android and iOS, as well as a web view. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, okay. So it's super cool. I, I wouldn't have even thought that that was possible. Yeah. This is, I mean, Expo is doing some amazing stuff. It's really amazing. Cool. So uh, we're going to move on to uh, to Nerdbinit. But uh, before we do, Jamin, do you have anything that you want to promote or uh, talk about where people can find you online? Yeah, sure. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jamin Holmgren, just my first and last name. Um, and uh, the biggest thing to promote right now is something that we launched just today. You alluded to this earlier, uh, which is which is pretty cool. We, um, that is our Infinite Red Academy brand new course about AI and ML. Uh, so this is written for uh, TensorFlow.js, which is a JavaScript framework out of Google that allows you to, uh, to create and use uh, machine learning models. And we do that. Uh, you can go to nsfwjs.com. It is not, not safe for work. You can, it is safe for work, <laughs> but nsfwjs.com and you can upload an image there and it'll tell you if it thinks that it is an inappropriate image or a regular, uh, you know, fine image. And it uses machine learning in the browser, all client side. It's not doing anything on the server. There's no Python involved. It's all JavaScript. Um, so you, you learn how to use all these tools, why it matters. AI and ML are the next huge thing that's coming down the pike. I think Bill Gates said that he, if he were to start over with and, and had the choice to build Microsoft or to build an AI company, he would build an AI company now. And um, that's that's in retrospect, like going back and starting over. So uh, to him, it's a huge, huge deal, way bigger than, you know, than, than, than the software kind of world was at the time. We believe in it a lot too, but we're also trying to bring it to regular developers and not just PhDs, not just people that are, that are mathematicians, because that's really what it is right now. Is everything's all about math. So yeah. uh, go to academy.infinite.red and you'll find uh, two courses there. One is free, so you get to take a five-day course on AIML, uh, just kind of high level, and then there's our three-week course uh, that you can get there. Right now, running a promo. Awesome. Yeah, yeah cool. I've taken uh, the free course. It's fantastic. Um, it'll get you up to speed on kind of the landscape of machine learning very, very quickly. Um, it's a, I think it's advertised as like a, a five-day course, but you can kind of get through it a little bit faster and it lays a, a really good foundation for machine learning. So I, I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, totally. Cool. So uh, also, obviously, check out Gant's episode when he was on the show. We talked all about <laughs> JavaScript and machine learning and what does that mean and, and whatnot. So yeah. check that out. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about Nerd Minute. So at the end of every show, we uh, we like to talk about 
books and video games and comic books and, and all that good stuff. So, uh, Jamin, you're the guest. Have you kind of dipped into any of that stuff lately? So uh, I have a 14-year-old son. His name's Cedric. And um, he and I like to game together uh, all the time. But we really like co-op games. Um, and so, uh, we're also both, uh, world war one, world war two history buffs, especially aviation. So we decided, Wait, your yes, kid is? yes, my kid is, uh, he's that's, actually, that's interesting. He, he's actually much more knowledgeable about world war one than I am. Uh, I'm about even maybe with him on world war two and I've that's been cool. studying this my whole life. So he's, he's really smart. Hard to keep up with them, but there is a free-to-play game called Rise of Flight, riseofflight.com, that we found you can do co-op. Uh, so he and I, um, a couple years ago, we bought the exact same gaming laptop, and uh, we we installed uh, this yesterday, and we were playing a um, lot of fun, uh, just flying a, a World War One biplane around, shooting, you know, shooting, you know, trying to shoot down planes, and. Uh, like uh, it's actually pretty hard. Like it's it's not an easy game to play, um, but a lot of fun. Uh, so that's that's the latest thing that we've been doing, and and totally totally geeking out about World War One. We're probably going to go see that new movie coming out next month, uh, nineteen seventeen, which is about World War One. Yeah, that looked pretty good. I saw the preview for that. Yeah, yeah, that's we cool. did too. It was uh, it really looked good. Do you ever uh, get into hardcore history and listen to? Uh, I think Dan Carlin's his name. Go on and on I, about. I love that podcast. I'd never have time for it anymore because I work from home and I don't have a commute. <laughs> the struggle is real. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I, I had a quite a hellacious commute at one point. And so I got through a couple of hardcore history episodes. Yeah. Super, super fascinating to listen to yeah. um, him talk about World War One and uh, a, a lot of those other conflicts and, and major periods in history. Absolutely. It's really fascinating. I was just going to ask if you, uh, have you ever played battlefield one? You know what? I used to be in the battlefield series, uh, way back. I played battlefield 1942 battlefield, okay. Vietnam battlefield two. And then I kind of dropped off after that. So I, I have not been into that series since, since battlefield, I think two battlefield two long time ago. Okay. Cause battlefield one was like a re-release, not a re-release, but like a reboot kind of thing. Um, is about world war one. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, that's why I asked. Um, that was like two years ago. I want to say was it two, any good three, two, three years ago. I never played it. I just know yeah. it was world war one. And then the next year, call of duty did world war two. Okay. Uh, so yeah. yeah, that's a little more modern. Stuff. I think world war two has been rethought like a million times um, yeah, yeah. online. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's so I, I've always been a world war two history buff, but but with Cedric, I've been getting more and more into the World War One side of things, which is quite interesting. Yeah, World War One is uh, not to nerd out about history, but yeah. really fascinating to talk about like the the world climate at the time and yeah. like all of the trade that was happening and kind of like this booming economy, and then it all just like implodes over this uh, conflict in in Europe. Totally, and you know, warfare didn't exist uh, like that. Um, previously, so like technology had advanced so far since the last major conflicts that you know guys were like still on horses doing cavalry charges <laughs> whenever World War One came around, and they had like you know artillery shells and stuff raining down on those guys yeah. on horses. So super yeah. weird uh, conflict. Totally, it was just a total clash of. I mean, I guess industrial revolution played a part, and and uh, global. Um, 
global trade, global economics, uh, all of those things came into play. It was, yeah, we could nerd out about that in a whole, whole nother episode <laughs> if we wanted to. <laughs> cool. So, uh, Eddie, you got anything for nerd minute? Um, not much over the weekend uh, we had like a family gathering. Um, I brought my Xbox. Um, so we played a lot of Dragon Ball Z fighters. Uh, fighter Z, the new one. Yeah. Fighter Z, um, the fighting game, which is, what'd you think? It's awesome. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's really nice. good. Um, it looks a lot like the, the show just like better. <laughs> it's like sharper and stuff. Uh, and yeah, you can just mash buttons and it looks amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you like really look like, you know what you're doing. And I was getting my butt whooped by like seven year olds. <laughs> <laughs> Naturally. Yeah. I think yeah. I'd, I'd be with you nowadays. Yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> it was it, cool. Uh, it was a lot of fun. My daughter loves it. Um, and then I got my niece into playing it too. Who's like a, a couple of years younger than my daughter. And, uh, yeah, and now they just want to play it all the time. Is it something that you can get into if you have like no fighting game chops? Yeah, I mean, where I'm talking about like a a nine year old and a seven year old, so <laughs> and they're playing it all the time. It looks cool when you look at it, and like they're doing a million like dragon like fireballs and their lightning blasts and all kinds of crazy stuff going on. It's a three and three fighter, kind of like um, Marvel okay. versus Capcom. Uh, gotcha. So there's tag team and stuff like that. Um, and it looks, it's really awesome when you switch fighter or where one guy dies on one team and then they do this animation where everything stops They and they animate the other guy coming in and they hit each other and then they go back and then the game starts up again. It's really cool. <laughs> the animations in the game are amazing. It's, it's, it's really, really cool looking. Wow. Yeah. I, I strongly recommend it. I haven't been into fighting games since like Street Fighter and I, I played like <laughs> Street Fighter four and I got my my butt kicked by like the third person in the arcade mode or something. I had the same thing. And I was like, <laughs> why can't I beat this guy? So uh, I've kind of like the big fat guy. Um, Bernie was like the, or whatever the wrestling name. character or whatever he was would just uh, like throw me until I died. And I was like, this yeah. is garbage. <laughs> Street Fighter five is a little easier. Um, and it has a, a uh, kind of a story or arcade mode where you go through fighters from all the games. So you play Street Fighter One, you play, you fight all the characters that were in that game, and then you do two and three and four and five, uh, and that's kind of cool. I haven't played the story mode yet, but cool, it's, it's cool. Yeah. Um, I guess it's and my you? turn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, man. I feel like we've we've done so many episodes that I've run out of stuff. Um, <laughs> I'll throw out that. Uh, so I saw an anime today, which was um, I forget the name of it, but it was about a kid that gets uh, his dad's like an archaeologist or something. So he, okay. the dad mails the son a coffin, and inside the coffin is a mummy. And so the show is about the kid living with a mummy, and the okay. mummy is like maybe six or seven inches tall. Okay. <laughs> it's just like this over the top ridiculous anime about uh this cute little mummy that the kid takes care of. So uh it was pretty funny. Um What's it called? I couldn't tell you the name. It's like uh, My Life with a Mummy or something crazy. Okay. But uh yeah, usually we talk about uh like shonen anime where uh they're getting on there and they're having like these bombastic fights and stuff and you know ninjas and robots and all that kind of stuff, but there's always that side of anime that's like 
these weird genres like, uh, you know, everyday life, but with a mummy or <laughs> so, yeah. uh, yeah, check that one out. If that sounds interesting to you, uh, it wasn't as terrible as it sounds. <laughs> also, I've been watching nailed it with my daughter. Oh, uh, what's that? Yeah, uh, it's a cooking show of people that are really bad at cooking hosted by a comedian. <laughs> you, I feel like I live that. <laughs> yeah, so it's on Netflix. It's hosted by a really funny comedian, um, Nicole Byers. And then, uh, so they ha- it's a baking competition. So they make them, they bring out these like amazing, like cakes that look like porcelain bears and stuff like that. Just like really amazing looking things. And then th- they bring out three people that barely know how to like follow a recipe. <laughs> <laughs> and then they have them like make these things and um, they're, they give them very little time <laughs> and they have to just make these, these amazing looking cakes and pastries and whatnot. And they all mess it up. And then the comedians just kind of make fun of them. Just roast and, them. Yeah, it's funny. It's all in good fun. No one's like upset about it or anything. Um, and the people know they're doing a bad job. But uh, it, it's really funny. It's it's a really good show. If you haven't seen it before, you should check it out. It, it's really good. Sounds Kids really like it. This we sounds. Really, what's that? We, we really that. liked the uh, the great British baking show or British Bake okay. Off. Uh, that was that was pretty awesome. So uh, as a family, so maybe we'd enjoy this one, too. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little hesitant because I feel like I live that whenever I look up a recipe on Facebook or something. <laughs> I could make that. And then my family's roasting me when I'm in the kitchen, totally screwing it up. So <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll give it a give it a shot. That's good. You should watch it. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, I think we can wrap it up there. Uh, Jamin, thanks so, so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank it you. was a blast having you. Yeah, thanks a lot, Lee and Eddie. Uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun to talk to both of you. Awesome. So, uh Go check out Gantt's course and uh, tweet Jamin if you have any React Native questions. And hopefully we can have him back on the show in the future. I'd love that. Cool. Awesome. Hey, thanks for listening to Tech Junior. Please head over to our website at techjunior.dev for show notes and past episodes. While you're there, please sign up for our newsletter. Um, It goes out once a week with the latest episode and other goodies that we think you guys would like. Um, If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by becoming a Patreon subscriber. Special thanks to all our current patrons. And uh, we also have a Teespring store with t-shirts and stickers designed by Lee and I. Um, You can find links to both these things on our website at techjunior.dev under support. Um, Please follow us on Twitter at techjuniorpodcast. You can also follow our personal accounts. Uh, Lee is at Lee Warwick Jr. I am at Ed Otero. The O's are zeros. Thanks and see you next week.